Welcome to the Healthy Hormones for Women podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Gladish, online nutritionist, weight loss coach, and hormone fixer-upper. I'm excited to bring you a weekly dose of information and inspiration, sharing with you simple and effective strategies from health, wealth, and all things personal growth. Get ready to become the master of your hormones and experience vibrant health to live a life of more power and possibility. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you guys are doing well. I'm really excited for today's interview with Dr. Robert Sheeler. We dive into migraines and headaches, something that is near and dear to me, something I've struggled with over the years. And I know many women who are listening have struggled with it as well, or maybe you have friends and family that have struggled with migraines and headaches. So we dive into some really great information in today's episode, as well as the different types of the subtypes that are linked to migraines and headaches and how hormones can be related to that. So there's a thyroid link and an estrogen progesterone link as well as insulin. So it's really interesting. And we also dive into different triggers of headaches and migraines and of course, solutions. So I think you guys are going to really, really love it. I definitely learned a lot. But before we dive into today's episode... I'm so excited to share that we are expanding our holistic wellness shop. So we'll be bringing on some different wellness items and products over the next few months, which is so amazing. But one of the first things that we started with is supplements. And you know I'm a big fan of Designs for Health products, and I use a lot of their products. And they're probably one of the companies that is not bought out by a pharmaceutical company yet. And they've got some really great quality products and just really great therapeutic dosing. So I use it a lot in my practice and with my clients, and I use a lot of their products myself. And so lots of great research coming out on some really amazing products they have. One of my favorite products is the Brocco Protect. So it's amazing for estrogen dominance and estrogen detoxification, liver detoxification, and cancer prevention, especially with any type of estrogen dominant type cancers, ovarian cancer or breast cancer. So I really love that product. And we brought that onto the site. I curated a bunch of products that I really like. So they're enzymes, they're pure paleo protein. You know, I've spoken about that before. It's the beef isolate that I use. I use their mitochondrial NRG daily. That's a really great product, especially for autoimmunity. There's been a lot of research showing how mitochondrial dysfunction can really be a cause of autoimmunity. So from a cellular energy perspective, that product has been really, really great for me. So I use that one regularly. And yeah, there's just lots of great stuff on there. So definitely check it out. We sell them to Canada and the US. So there's a little link there that you can click to, to go order over into the US and head on over to shop.holisticwellness.ca to check it out. And you can use the coupon code BLACKFRIDAY10 to save 10%. And that's the number 10. So one zero, Black Friday one zero. And you can use that coupon code to save 10% all month long for November and Go try out some of the products. If there's anything that you're interested in and you have questions about it, don't hesitate to reach out and let us know. All right, so diving into today's episode, Dr. Robert Sheeler is a family physician and headache specialist who spent over 20 years at the Mayo Clinic prior to going into private practice in Scottsdale, Arizona. 
At the Mayo Clinic, he was the medical editor of the Mayo Clinic Health Letter and the chair of the Mayo Foundation Neuropsychiatric Medicine Task Force. He chaired numerous courses and won teaching awards at Mayo Medical School. He is certified as a subspecialist in headache medicine by the United Council of Neurologic Subspecialists. He is also certified in functional medicine by the Institute for Functional Medicine and is board certified in integrative medicine. He currently serves as the chief medical officer of Destiny Well, a company that is bringing creative and empowering solutions to consumers and doctors to empower them to take control of their health destiny. He teaches Tai Chi and Qigong and is working to bring functional medicine to China as there is a strong symmetry between functional medicine and traditional Chinese medicine. So let's dive into today's episode with Dr. Robert Sheeler. Hi, Robert. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate you inviting me. We are so excited to have you here. I know the ladies who are tuning in are excited to hear this topic. It's a very niche and unique topic that we're diving in today, something that I know many women and men are struggling with, which is migraines and headaches. But before we dive into that, please share with our audience more about you and what you do. Sure. Okay. Well, I'm a traditionally trained family medicine doctor. I spent over 20 years at Mayo Clinic with my own practice and then also doing other roles. Like I chaired the neuropsychiatric medicine group. I taught in the medical school and did various administrative roles. I was also the medical editor of the Mayo Clinic health letter for almost 20 years. So I had a lot of exciting things there, but one of the things that I did during the last half of my career is I've always been interested in headaches. My grandmother had headaches. My dad had bad migraines and I got migraines myself when I was a teenager. And so your clinical interests evolve. Some things you just find fascinating and other things you get into because you've been there and lived it. And so I was in that latter group for headaches. So I always had a lot of headache patients and I started to just learn more and more. And eventually I was able to get certified as a headache specialist by the United Council of Neurologic Subspecialists. So by the end of my time at Mayo Clinic, I was running a headache clinic for the primary care area and I would also get national patients. And I like to believe that combining traditional approaches and in a more holistic approach is good too. So my initial training was family medicine. I still have a foot solidly in that world. I teach people board review courses on how to how to pass those kinds of things. But I went on to do functional and integrative medicine training. My wife did Andrew Wiles program in integrative medicine. I had been doing enough other integrative mind-body things and teaching Tai Chi and Qigong and things like that, that I was able to get board certified in integrative medicine. And then we both studied functional medicine through the Institute for Functional Medicine. And I work with them and I've actually recently been teaching functional medicine in China. So I believe that the more holistic, integrative, functional approach fits more with my own philosophy and what I like about it in terms of headaches is that it allows us to look for a root cause of things. It allows us to try to find something that we can fix that will make your headaches go away or virtually go away. And that was the experience I had myself, is that I had been living with headaches for a long time, even after I was treating headache patients, even after I was using all the regular medicines. I started to take some supplements and to do some meditation and to do some Tai Chi, and I just got to the point where the switch flipped and my headaches virtually went away, and I've hardly had any for the last decade. And so that experience led me to study functional medicine and to look for root cause approaches, and then also to classify headaches beyond the traditional classifications. And we'll talk about those some, you know, the with aura and the, the without aura and the different types of aura, but also into functional subgroups or subtypes 
based on what works to find the root cause and get them to go away. And within that category, hormones are a big one. Not just the classic estrogen and progesterone, but other hormones like thyroid and adrenal hormones and even insulin. So we'd be delighted to talk about all that stuff. Yes. It sounds like you've been busy, very busy over the years. And I love that you're teaching (laughs) functional medicine in China. I think there's a great connection there between functional medicine and traditional Chinese medicine, which is really wonderful. So let's start out with diving into the functional subtypes of migraines. And can you really explain what this is? Sure. So a traditional headache specialist, we would all agree through the international classification of headache disorders on the two foundational types of migraine. And those are migraine with aura and migraine without aura. They're sort of the same. They have some of the same physiology, but migraine with aura is sort of a different disease, and it's a worse disease. People who have migraine with aura, boys will often get that between age six and nine, and girls will get it between age eight and 10. So before cycles and those kinds of things. Migraine with aura also is not very hormonal in character. So it doesn't tend to go away with menopause. It doesn't tend to have much cycle component, but it has a lot more comorbidity. So people with migraine in general and an accentuated version of people with migraine with aura will have more depression. They'll have more bipolar disease. They'll have more asthma. They'll have more restless legs. They have a number of comorbid conditions that go along with it. And it tends to be two or three times as much in the aura patients as in the non-aura patients. The aura patients also have more complications. They are the ones that are responsible for the major percentage of increase in heart attack and stroke in migraine, and that happens more in people with aura. So people without aura, women make up more than two-thirds of people with migraine. So about 18% of the population has migraine, and so 12% of women and about 6% of men have migraine. And women tend to get more psycho-related things if they have migraine without aura. So migraine without aura is very hormonally sensitive. So often that will onset in women around the time they have their cycles, whatever that is in these days and age with more you know, xenoestrogens and more toxins in our environment, it's getting to be earlier and earlier. So when women start to have their cycles, they start to get migraine without aura. And then At other key hormonal times in their life, they get that. They get it more around pregnancy. Sometimes it'll go away completely with pregnancy. Sometimes it'll be present every time a person has a pregnancy at the same trimester. Sometimes it'll it'll be gone during pregnancy and come back with a revenge during the postpartum period. So hormones, especially when they're changing, when they're falling, and around the time of perimenopause and early menopause, because it's falling estrogen levels that trigger migraines in the people who are hormonally sensitive. So progesterone has a role too. We can talk about that some, but it's mostly estrogen. So during the first half of the cycle, the follicular phase, estrogen levels build up, then they drop a little bit at mid-cycle. And so some women who are hormonally sensitive will have migraines at mid-cycle, then they drop a lot when a woman has her cycle. And that's when the people get the majority of their really bad cycle-related headaches. And some people, they'll last four, five, even seven days with every cycle. And that's a lot of every month to have a menstrual migraine. Menstrual migraines are more intense and they're harder to treat. So they're important for that reason as well. And so we want to talk about some things 
to do to kind of get to the bottom of that and approach that as well. And then around the time of perimenopause and menopause, when estrogen levels are falling, often people will have lots of increased headaches. That happens with natural menopause. The average age is around 51, 52 in North America. But it also happens with surgical menopause. If a woman has both of her ovaries out, several things happen. And one of them is that she can start to have really serious headaches for a while if she has that underlying tendency. Another thing is, especially if you get your ovaries out before age 40, it increases your risk of Alzheimer's disease. Taking one out increases it some, and taking both out increases it a lot. So there are trophic factors. There are things that brain cells need. They need vitamin D. They need testosterone. They need estrogen. They need certain amounts of thyroid hormone. And if they don't have those on a sustained basis, then they don't survive and function as long. Wow. I never knew that statistic. That's really huge. Can you actually just explain aura? I think some people might be confused by what it means. So maybe just give us an explanation of that. Of course. So first I'll tell you a little bit about migraine diagnostic criteria. So to have migraine with aura or without aura, you have to have the basic things of migraine. And there are new functional MRI studies that show certain areas of the brain light up and what's going on. Those are not currently used for diagnosis. What's used are clinical criteria. So in order to have migraine, you have to have had like five episodes or so. So we know it isn't just a stroke or some illness or something. And They have to have two of these criteria. They have to be throbbing, one-sided, moderately severe, and worse with exercise. And some of my patients go, well, hey, I don't exercise. It's like, okay, are they worse if you run up the stairs, if you're carrying a basket of laundry? Does that make it pound more? Does that make it a throbbing headache? And you don't have to have all those. You have to have two of those. And then on the second half of the criteria, you have to have either nausea or vomiting, or you have to have light and sound sensitivity. And so those are the things that people typically get with their migraine. They get headaches that last four to 72 hours. Once they start, they tend to sort of run through the whole pattern unless you can treat them early and and get on top of them. And then they're associated with that light sound sensitivity. Some people also have what's called osmophobia or increased sensitivity to smells. And that's in some of the alternate criteria. And then you have to have, you know, the, it fits the pattern of the often one-sided, often throbbing, worse with exercise and not just a mild headache. It has to at least be moderate to severe. And patients are very savvy about this because a lot of doctors you know, don't really understand or diagnose migraine enough, but I was doing some migraine consulting work with one of the world's best headache specialists, and he quoted a figure. He said, when a patient thinks they have migraine, 98% of the time, they're right. And when they think they don't have migraine, 83% of the time, they're wrong. So most of the time, what you think is migraine is migraine what you think isn't migraine is migraine. In my clinic, migraine is one of the World Health Association, you know, highest disability diseases above certain kinds of cancer and stuff like that. And so it really does disable people. And then the other part of that equation is when a doctor thinks a person has migraine, 99% of the time they're right. And when a doctor thinks that a patient doesn't have migraine, over 90% of the time they're wrong. So lots of this stuff is migraine or partial migraine by the clinical criteria. So that's what you have to have to have a general diagnosis of migraine. Then to have aura, you need to have one of four different subtypes of aura. And aura symptoms come on and they typically start with like an hour or so before the headache. And then at the beginning of the headache or in the first hour or so, 
they resolve. So the most classic aura is visual aura. And most people who have aura have that. About 30% of people who have migraine have migraine with aura. And like we talked about, it's a worse disease. And the visual aura can either be positive or negative. So the positive aura is things like zigzag patterns called tecopsia or flashing lights called photopsia. And then the negative patterns are loss of visual field or dark spots called scotoma. And the fancy name for the pattern of the vision changes is hononymous hemianopsia. So it happens from the back of the brain, the occipital lobe where vision is. And so it'll be in the same part of both visual fields. So people go, oh, I lost vision in my left eye. It's like, well, did you really? If you closed your left eye, you still had lost the left part of your vision field from your right eye too. So typically the migraine is from the back part of the brain and the cortex goes to both eyes and it processes vision from both sides. And so the patterns will happen there. And they can be quite dramatic. People who meditate or people who are very spiritual will often sort of fit them into their whole category before we knew about them. So for instance, the Abbess Hildegard von Bingen, if you look at her drawings and read her journals, a lot of the symptoms that she had were consistent with migraine with complex visual aura. So visual is the most common. Another common one that's also fairly benign is sensory aura. So you get numbness or tingling, like one arm will tingle, one side of your face will tingle, that kind of stuff. A third one that's scary, but isn't serious, is linguistic aura. It's hard to categorize, but people just have trouble speaking. Their language is garbled. People can't understand them, but they can still understand and know what's going on around them. So I've had my patients who've had this linguistic aura. First, I tell them it's not a stroke. It's nothing terrible. It's just frightening to you and to people around you. So I have them carry a card in their wallet or their purse that says, this is my linguistic aura. And this linguistic aura comes, and if I'm not better in 20 minutes, then please call an ambulance or call my family. But otherwise, it's something that just goes away. And so if they know about it and they know a migraine may come on afterwards, they can treat it that way. Then the last type of aura is more serious. That's called motor aura, and that's called hemiplegic migraine. There are specific single genes that are heritable in families with hemiplegic migraine. And hemiplegic migraine has a higher risk of stroke. It also has a scary thing is people with hemiplegic migraine, if they get hitting the head really hard or they get a bad head injury, they might go unconscious and never wake up. So if you have hemiplegic migraine, you want to be on the bridge team or doing yoga and not on the football team or playing soccer. So those are the four types of aura. A person can have more than one, but mostly what we see is visual aura. All right. So if somebody is prone to getting migraines with aura, Mm -hmm. will they always get migraines with aura? Absolutely not. No. They will get that some or all of the time. And so they might get it, you know, throughout their life, they might get it with every headache. They might get it with every third headache. They might only have it two or three times a year. And then an interesting thing is about 15% of the time, especially as people age, the aura dissociates from the migraine and they just get the aura symptoms. So you can see how the reason you need to have that two or three or five times in order to know that it's just your migraine is especially if it's the first presenting symptom and you don't have a headache, you think, oh, I'm having a stroke. This is bad. And so you rush to the emergency room. They put you through a stroke protocol. They're doing head scans. They're trying to decide if you're bleeding into your head or if you've had a stroke. And then it happens recurrently in the same pattern. Then we go, okay, that was just migraine. But you want to assume it's something serious first because an acute stroke would need to be treated. 
people find it sort of amusing or interesting that they just get the aura when they get older and it doesn't always turn into headache because they're thinking, oh, this is going to be a headache and they have that sort of anticipatory fear. But over time, it doesn't tend to do that. And one thing that's interesting for migraine patients in general, but aura patients in particular, is that magnesium helps it. So taking extra magnesium or magnesium supplements, or sometimes in my acute headache protocols, I would send people to the infusion facility and give them intravenous magnesium. And that can help aura, but can also help break a cycle of migraines or make migraines less likely. That's great. Magnesium is really one of my favorite supplements. I know when I was younger, I used to get a lot of migraines and I found that I did experience some of the aura symptoms because I was very affected by visuals and lights and sounds. And like, I had to literally just be locked up in my room, complete darkness, let me Mm -hmm. go to sleep. And that's how I got better. And of course, as I got older and started to take better care of my body and my health and eating better and getting more on supplements, especially magnesium, it's been Mm -hmm. less and less. But I do get the pre-ovulation headache or migraine. That's Mm -hmm. that's if I win when my estrogen levels are taking that dip. So Speaking of estrogen levels and hormones, I would love to dive into the four different hormonal subtypes. So I'm just going to list them out here. You sent them over. So there's sex steroid related, which is your estrogen progesterone, thyroid hormone related, adrenal steroid hormone, and then glucotoxicity, which is related to more insulin. So let's start with the first one, which is sex steroid related. Sure. So that's the estrogen progesterone. It's predominantly the estrogen component. We talked about the times of life and the times of cycle when that's more likely to do. And then it interplays. All these things on a holistic standpoint are related to the others. And so, for instance, estrogen is produced mostly in the ovaries. Estradiol is the predominant hormone before menopause. But it's also produced in fat tissue. And so as we get heavier, people have more tendency. At first, we knew that if you had obesity or high BMI, you're more likely for your headaches to become chronic and to go from just acute intermittent migraine to having chronic migraines. Then a couple years ago, we discovered actually your risk of having migraine in general increases. And that's related to two things. One, inflammation goes up. And part of that inflammation that goes up is from insulin resistance and glucotoxicity. But adipose or fat tissue converts precursor hormones into estrogen. So you may have higher and higher estrogen levels and you may have a higher balance of estrogen to progesterone called estrogen dominance if you have had weight gain and if you're heavier. Whereas if you're thin, people with anorexia, they'll have very low estrogen levels. People who are thin or have triad athlete syndrome where they exercise all the time, a lot of times those folks will have low estrogen and get osteoporosis. So the people who are heavy set are protected from osteoporosis, but they get more migraines, they get more estrogen dependent cancer. And so it, it's a trade-off. Okay. And then what about thyroid hormone related? Thyroid and adrenal hormones are upstream from sex steroids like the estrogen and progesterone. And so one of the things that we always do in an infertility evaluation, but also when people come in with irregular cycles, is to check their thyroid hormone. So if your thyroid is off, especially if you have hypothyroidism, and that's more common in women because women have more autoimmune disease, and common cause of hypothyroidism or low thyroid function is Hashimoto's 
thyroiditis, where your body produces antibodies against your thyroid. And if you don't have enough thyroid hormone, then it's common that your cycles will be out of balance. And just fixing the thyroid hormone without doing anything to the estrogen and progesterone, without giving any female hormones, can make them completely normalized. So I've seen headaches get better, but I've also seen cycles get better. And there are sort of two layers of root cause there. So number one layer is you know, you could take something like birth control pills or you could give cyclic estrogen and progesterone and get that person's cycles to be normal again, but you never look the next level deeper to find out that it was from thyroid. And then you can actually go a level deeper than that and say, well, why does this person have an autoimmune disease? Do they have leaky gut? Do they have celiac disease? Are they gluten sensitive? So looking a level deeper than that to say, well, what's causing the autoimmune process in the first place? is an even deeper root cause level. And those are the kinds of things that we like to work on in functional medicine. It's sort of like peeling an onion. We go from one level to the next level to the next level until we can try to find things that we can fix that normalize stuff so that we don't have to keep people on medicines forever. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely want to get people off of medicine forever. So adrenal steroid hormone related, how about that subtype? Okay. Well, that's an even deeper master level hormone because the adrenal hormones regulate cellular function at all sorts of levels. It regulates the integrity of the gut, what type of bacteria in the gut, and the function in membranes of, of every cell. And so adrenal hormones are so important that if we're stressed and we don't have enough adrenal hormone, if you have Addison's disease where you don't make enough, you get in a car accident, you have a heart attack, you have a major surgery, you can actually die. And so I had a patient who was newly diagnosed with Addison's last year. She had abnormal thyroid function. She was beyond menopause, so it didn't affect her cycles or anything. But we normalized and treated her with adrenal steroid hormones in replacement and treated her autoimmune disease. And then her thyroid normalized without that. So adrenal is upstream from thyroid, and thyroid is upstream from sex steroids. And adrenal hormones are very closely related to stress. So if you don't get enough sleep, your adrenal hormones will often stay high during the night, and you're constantly stressed, your sleep quality is low, and continued high cortisol levels will cause osteoporosis, they'll cause damage to the balance of the gut, they'll even shrink an area of the brain associated with short-term memory and memory incorporation called the hippocampus. And so we always talk about, oh yeah, stress management, oh yeah, exercise. Well, it turns out that those lifestyle factors in a lot of ways are even more powerful medicine than things that we do to intervene downstream. Okay, that's huge. And I always say to my clients, you know, when your thyroid is low, your adrenals are high and that's how to keep it in mind. And I know many women who are dealing with myself included thyroid issues and you definitely have to address adrenals at the same time while addressing thyroid. So glad you touched right. on that. Okay. So lastly, glucotoxicity, which is related to insulin. Right. So a lot of us live on sort of a carbohydrate insulin roller coaster. And so that can cause headaches. And so both high sugars can cause headaches because they increase inflammation. They lead to metabolic syndrome, which is a combination of abdominal adiposity, sort of more of that apple configuration. It leads to elevated inflammatory compounds, insulin resistance and prediabetes and diabetes, elevated triglycerides, which is the blood fat and elevated blood pressure. So all those things come from sugars that are too high that drives that inflammation that makes if you have the underlying genetics or the underlying configuration to have migraines, makes them more likely to happen, makes them more likely to go from episodic migraine to continuous or very frequent chronic daily headache type migraines. On the other hand, a lot of people have 
glucotoxicity and get headaches from low blood sugars as well. And so it's not uncommon. So we tell a story of someone who gets up in the morning and they have a bowl of sugary cereal and then they rush off to work and then that spikes their sugar up and they feel a little better, but it also shoots their insulin up. So a couple hours later, their sugar goes down. They go to an expensive coffee shop and have a glass of coffee that also has 30 or 40 grams of sugar in it and maybe a scone and they feel better. And then they get to lunch and they eat a typical soup or sandwich or pasta or something like that. And they're living on that again. And then they're trying to make it through the afternoon and they're doing pretty well until late afternoon when they get a headache, they get exhausted, they're just not functioning. And turns out that again, that's when the insulin has really peaked, but they haven't fed it for a while. And so they start to get a headache and they say, you know, when I get a headache, if I eat something, it gets better. Like if I drink soda, it gets better. And a lot of sodas have caffeine, even some of the lemonades and some of the root beers have caffeine in them. So if you're taking sugar and caffeine together, that might help your headache. And so you've started this thing, first thing in the morning, you've started a cascade that's going to go with you all day by eating a high glycemic breakfast. We say, oh, breakfast is good. It is good, but it depends on what you eat. And so the low glycemic is a factor as well. And in functional medicine, we use some tests for that. And so, you know, you can put people on several hour tests. We're starting to use continuous glucose monitors, not just for people who have diabetes, but for people who want to know what their sugar metabolism is like. But there's a blood test called LDH or lactate dehydrogenase that has several different subforms and it's used to diagnose heart problems and mostly liver problems and some skeletal issues. But it turns out that most doctors just know about, well, if it's high, you fractionate it, you try to figure out where it's coming from and what else goes with it. But it turns out that it's a key enzyme for metabolism as well. And so if your LDH is low, below certain levels, it means that you don't have enough metabolic capacity at certain parts of your energy generation chain, and it, you're running your sugars too low. So in functional medicine, we like to look not just at what's a normal range for blood sugar or glycohemoglobin long-term sugar control or hemoglobin, or liver function, we like to look at what's optimal. And so optimal is not too high and not too low, sort of a Goldilocks type thing. And if you run your sugars too low, you do get those insulin spikes, but you also feel bad, you get some brain fog, it can wake you up in the middle of the night because your body doesn't have enough sugar to function. And so eating low glycemic foods fairly frequently and developing Metabolic flexibility where your body can burn fat is very helpful. And so if you can burn fat for fuel for your heart and your brain and you get more efficient at that, then you're not living in that whole carb world. And one of the things that helps that is intermittent fasting. And so in my Tai Chi and Qigong stuff, sometimes I will fast for three days at a time as sort of a discipline thing. But the first thing to do is don't eat for two hours before you go to bed. And then the second thing to do to really help your metabolism, this helps with weight loss, it helps with energy, it helps with not going through this whole insulin resistance thing is to reset it by trying to eat only during a seven to nine hour interval of the day. So you might eat some low glycemic breakfast at 10, and then you might have your last meal at five. And so that you're done by 6 p.m. So you've eaten all of your food during an eight hour interval. There's a lot of laboratory evidence of that, and there's a lot of clinical evidence in people starting to evolve that shows that people are healthier when they do that. And it makes more sense in terms of the way we evolve. We probably didn't have continuous access to food. And so that is one of the things that will reset some of that insulin metabolism. That's a really great tip. So when you do intermittent fasting for three days, are you doing water fasting? What are you doing for those three days? Yep. Water. Wow. How's that experience? At about 
18 to 26 hours, I start to get like really hungry. And then after that, I'm not very hungry at all. Because when you produce a lot of ketones, ketones do two things. One, they make you a little bit anorexic. They make you lose your appetite. And two, you sort of get a little high from them. And so that's one of the things that makes the disease of anorexia tricky to treat because people feel more in control of their life, but they actually feel good when they fast like that. And so it's almost like manic depressive disorder. When somebody's manic, they feel good. It's like, do you want a medicine to not feel good? It's like, no, I feel good. I don't think I want a medicine for that. And so we have to realize that, you know, there's a balance of a lot of things and there's some things that are good and some that are bad. So doing that intermittently is a really good way to reset your metabolism. Sort of living on that edge all the time is a way to cause difficulties in a lot of other parts of your system. So during the fasting period, whether people are doing a 16-hour fast, do you recommend, obviously, water, but anything like black coffee or anything during that time? Um, There's different schools of thought on that. I generally recommend nothing during that time because there are some people that believe that any substances, any xenobiotics, anything that the body has to metabolize through phase one or phase two metabolism in the liver – cranks up and turns on some of those circadian clocks and and gets your metabolism engaged because you're metabolizing compounds. Now, whether there's great evidence on that, I don't know. But I sort of feel, I mean, I'm doing the fasting from just discipline standpoint and as part of my Tai Chi and Qigong meditation and stuff. And so I find that I can do just fine on water and I don't usually take my supplements during that time. And I don't, I don't take stuff in my water because I believe that it can activate certain of your metabolic pathways. Okay. Good to know. I know that there are a lot of people who have water or just black coffee, or maybe they do like exogenous ketones or something like that. So I guess different strokes are different folks. So absolutely. Yeah. So and I don't think the evidence is all in yet. I think a lot of those are based on somebody's idea of how things should work. And so it's like lectins. Everybody goes, oh, lectins, lectins, lectins. And so I've read the book and I've said, wow, that's stunning. That's an amazing theory. But it's not something that's really been tested or proved, you know, on a scientific basis for a long term period. And the same thing with some of these variations on fasting. It's like, well, what if I just took my supplements? Well, depends on which supplements they are. Right. What if I drink? coffee. Well, part of that depends on your genetic SNPs and how you metabolize coffee. Some people metabolize it very quickly. Some people metabolize it very slowly. So you can spend hundreds of dollars doing those genetic SNPs, or you can have a Starbucks that has four shots of espresso at 11 a.m. And if you're still awake at midnight, you're probably a slow metabolizer. Yes, that's a good way to put it. I'm a fast metabolizer. So (laughs) even though I still don't drink my coffee late in the day, if I do have it, I'll have it earlier in the morning. So for those who might be listening who do have chronic migraines Mm -hmm. and headaches, you know, where do you suggest somebody start? Obviously, there's a lot of root causes to look at here, but what would you say are sort of the steps somebody can take? Well, in terms of migraines in general, I think there are a lot of approaches. One, you know, you want to read and study and learn about that. That's one of the things our company does is we're developing direct-to-consumer solutions so people can learn and get that information. But it's available online a lot of places. It's available in books. It's available in libraries. And then I always tell people you should try to go to a doctor who's interested in what you have. And so, you know, you can go to a general neurologist who's interested in seizure disorders and they have to treat headaches because everybody in town comes to them. So that's like, yeah, headaches, I don't like them. They're not very interesting. And so before they did these functional MRI studies, you know, you could cut up people's brains and they look pretty normal. And they went, you know, headaches are just all functional disease. They're not something that 
you know, is real. And then they started doing these fMRI things. They went, oh yeah, look at the lesion is here. And then it goes there and it does this and that. And so I also am afraid to say that I think part of it is because it's a disorder that affects women more than men. And so lately that's not been as much of an issue, but over the centuries it has. So I don't know if you know the story about when uh, the colonists came from England to America, they reimported lots of things that they thought were pretty and would be nice in their gardens. And so one of the things they reintroduced was they introduced into England in the gardens was this beautiful ivy. It turned out it was poison ivy. And so a lot of the women were gardeners and they would get this terrible rash all over their hands. And you know what the doctors there who were mostly men, I'm embarrassed to say, you know what they called that dermatitis? Hysterical dermatitis. It's like, nice. <laughs> and so I think part of the, you know, the factor of migraine is that it's been a women's disease, so it hasn't been studied or investigated as much. But no matter what the illness is, whether you have high blood pressure or diabetes or migraine, make sure that your general doctor or the specialist that you're seeing has an interest in that so that they're up on it, so they've done a lot of things, so they know a lot of tricks, so they know what to try when the first or the second thing doesn't work. And so when I would teach my medical students, I always say, you have to know three treatments for everything off the top of your head. It's like, oh, I've got an ear infection. Well, I always use amoxicillin for that. See, okay, well, the patient's already had amoxicillin. Well, then I use sulfur drugs. Like, okay, the person's allergic to sulfur drugs and they've already had amoxicillin. Okay, now you need a third drug. So I want a headache specialist who knows a lot of tricks, who's been through a lot of things with people and has a better way to get to the bottom of it, as well as ways to treat them along the way. So my approach to medicine, I always say to my patients, I write up for a long report for my headache patients, and I talk about traditional approaches, the Western approach, you know, what classic medicine would do. And then I talk about integrative and functional medicine. And I say, my office is like a buffet. I tell you what I got, you tell me what you want. My name is Bob, B-O-B. And so what I try to bring is the best of both, the best of traditional Western medicine when it works. And so somebody comes back from Afghanistan with a blast injury to their head, then a drug like topiramate is really likely to help them. If on the other hand, they've got a lot of chronic stress, then addressing the stress can help as well. So I think finding somebody to work with, educating yourself, and then trying to identify some of these root causes. So some of them are hormonal, some of them are structural related to neck pain, some of them are related to sinus and allergy conditions. And so getting to the bottom of some of those is helpful. And then I think it's good to know about the acute drugs to treat migraine as well as the preventive drugs, as well as the diet, lifestyle, and supplement approaches. And so like I say, kind of the best of both. And so non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, if you can take them, they have side effects, stomach ulcers, asthma, kidney disease, cardiovascular risk long-term. But if you're young and healthy and don't have a lot of risk factors, NSAIDs like naproxen and ibuprofen are very helpful for migraine, and they're also helpful for menstrual cramps. And if you take them ahead of time, like somebody says, oh, I can tell I'm going to get my cycle tomorrow, you start taking those, those NSAIDs today because you'll prevent the formation of the compounds that cause the headache in the first place. And so rather than forming the compounds and then trying to block them at the receptor level, this way we keep them from forming in the first place. And I always say prostaglandins, which are the compounds that affect those receptors, prostaglandins are like pirates. They're better to deal with them before they're on board. So don't get behind the eight ball and have all of this stuff smashing you. Try to get ahead of it. There's research that shows that some of the main migraine medicines used for acute migraine, the tryptans like risotriptan and sumatriptan, which is Imitrex, will work 
well for menstrual migraine, but they've also been used, especially the ones that have longer half-life, like frovatriptan and naratriptan, they've been used for three to four days at a time when a woman gets her cycle to prevent and stay ahead of those headaches. I've used that successfully. It's also possible and helpful to combine a non-steroidal medicine like naproxen and ibuprofen with a triptan. And there's a prescription version that combines them and you'll pay $20 a pill instead of $2 a pill because somebody has a patent on it. But combining those two gives you a higher response rate in the first place and it makes the response more durable. So it's less likely to come back. So I like those. I like magnesium. And then I also think that some of the traditional preventive medicines are needed sometimes. A woman does need to watch out for some of those though, especially the ones that are anti-convulsants because some of those are very bad if you're pregnant. They can cause birth defects and they can also do something else nasty when you're a drug that causes birth defects is they can interfere with the effectiveness of oral contraceptives. So your pharmacist can tell you that if they're not just a here, take this pharmacist, if they're one of the ones that'll answer your questions and go into the databases and look at that stuff, and your doctor should be able to answer that, especially with their drug-drug interaction checker software. So before I took one of those, if I was on oral contraceptives and I was relying on that as my main means of family planning, I want to make sure that that wasn't in play. Okay. That's really good to know. And I think you have a medication cheat sheet as well on your website. I do. We, we made a medication cheat sheet as part of our migraine program. And that's something that's available to anyone who wants it. And we'll put that in the notes so that anybody can download that anytime that they'd like. And it just gives an overview of the acute medicines used to treat headache. Okay, perfect. Yeah, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. So I noticed on your site, destinywell.com, there is a migraine profile test that you have, which I'm very new to. I never even knew that existed. Uh And you're, you're testing vitamin D, ferritin, high sensitivity CRP, TSH, Ig, immunoglobin. So can you explain how those relate to migraines? Sure. So We test some of the main things that we're able to do in at-home testing that are related to migraine. So ferritin is iron. Iron is important not only in hemoglobin to transport oxygen from the lungs to the bloodstream, but iron is important in myoglobin and inside cells. And so if a person's ferritin is low, they're more likely to get neurologic conditions like restless leg syndrome. They're more likely to get cognitive decline and they're more likely to get migraine. So women in particular, especially women athletes or people who have heavy cycles and if they don't eat a lot of meat, then they are likely to get iron deficient. One of the first thing that happens is your bone marrow gets low, then your blood supply your blood storage things like ferritin and transferrin get low, and then eventually you get anemic from it. But well before you get anemic, your athletic performance goes down, you may not be as sharp as you were, and you start to get increased tendency to get things like migraine. So having your ferritin up in the 50 to 75 range, which often requires paying strict attention to your diet or taking some supplements if your cycles are heavy, that's an important thing to do. We test IgE levels because IgE is, is the allergy antibody. And so people who have an allergic component to their sinus congestion will often trigger the sort of facial type of migraines that we get. And, and that's addressable by trying to identify specific foods. I think the most powerful way in functional medicine to do that is through an elimination diet where you eat what's called oligoantigenic foods, things that hardly anybody reacts to, and then you start reintroducing things one at a time. That oligoantigenic diet is very anti-inflammatory because the body has less to process and as well as 
gets a lot of the substances that we usually react to out. And I am a big person on organic foods. I try to follow the dirty dozen and the clean 15, but I think that the cleaner food you eat, the more whole food, the less additives, the less processed stuff, the more likely you are to heal and give your body the capacity to self-heal than you are to deal with things. So that's the IgE component. The ferritin is important. I found that vitamin D is important for migraines. And there's a lot of people here in Arizona, as well as in Minnesota, who get vitamin D deficient. And so it's the sunshine vitamin. But if you live in the basement and play computer games, whether you're in Minnesota or Arizona, then you're going to get in trouble with that. So at least getting vitamin D levels up into the normal and the 20s and 30s is a real good idea. And then the thyroid function is good to screen. In functional medicine, we'll often do a whole battery of thyroid tests, but the TSH test is classic and will pick up more advanced cases of that. And so if it's too high, it means you're using the TSH to signal the thyroid, like that's the thyroid stimulating hormone. So why do you want to stimulate the thyroid? Well, you want to stimulate the thyroid if it's not putting out enough stuff. So an elevated TSH means low thyroid hormone. And then a low TSH sometimes means that the opposite is true. So you have too high thyroid function or hyperthyroidism. And either hyper or hypothyroidism can cause that. And so let's see. So there's IgE, ferritin, vitamin D, TSH. What was the last one? CRP. Oh yeah, CRP. And so HSCRP is a great inflammatory marker. And so it shows your risk of having systemic inflammation. And so you can tell where you're on that whole curve. And a lot of things can cause inflammation. Food allergies can cause inflammation. Environmental toxins can cause inflammation. Obesity can cause inflammation. And then chronic infections. So like people with rheumatoid arthritis, they're more likely to have heart attack and stroke and immune dysfunction and die of pneumonia, as well as have system-wide blood vessel inflammation, and they will have sky-high HSCRPs. So it can go up acutely with an infection like a pneumonia or a sinus infection, or it can be up chronically in a mildly elevated range, which often indicates vascular inflammation and increased cardiovascular risk. And so like we talked about, being heavier increases your insulin resistance, increases your system-wide inflammation. That makes you more likely to have migraines and it makes your migraines more likely to get chronic. And so I test those. The other thing that we're coming out with, and we found a partner who's done some test development with Harvard is an at-home celiac test. So I think everybody should be tested at least once in their life for celiac disease. I don't do the genetic test because lots of people have the genetic susceptibility, but even if you don't have gut symptoms, being tested for celiac disease is a good idea because some people will just have headaches. Some people will just have depression. Some people will, will have extreme fatigue or other symptoms without any gut symptoms at all. And so I've had patients who've had migraine for 20 years who came to see me. We did a celiac test. We put them on a completely gluten-free diet after they got confirmatory testing done through GI, their headaches went away completely and they haven't had a headache for 10 years. They also had things like they were chronically on antidepressants. They stopped those. They didn't need them anymore because the underlying inflammation drives all sorts of processes and some of them are in the nervous system. And things like depression can have a biologic component as well. I heard someone quoted the other day, they said, psychiatry is an interesting specialty. They're the only specialty that doesn't examine the organ that they're treating. So they do a lot of talking to you and a lot of finding out about your life. And those are critical things. And I'm a big believer in them. But I also like to know some of the biologic metabolic things that have to do with delivering oxygen to your brain and how it functions and how it's able to utilize those. Absolutely. That's really important. So 17 top triggers for migraines. I noticed this was a blog post you had on your site and I read through some of it. 
exercise, neck tension, eye strain. I mean, some things that were really common, Mm -hmm. but sex was on there. Right. And so people will tell you that sex can either help a migraine or it can hurt a migraine. So whether you're having it with somebody else or you're having it with yourself, some people will find they can get aura and they say, hey, honey, are you busy? And if they have sexual (laughs) relations, you know, in a short period of time, it makes it go away. But after a headache is more established, then any kind of jarring of the head can make things worse. And so that's all on an individual basis. There are actually separate types of headaches that are related to sexual activity. So if you haven't had headaches before and you get new onset headaches, there's two types of other than migraines, which are either better or worse than sex, there are two types of sexual activity-related headaches. One of them sort of builds up gradually, and the other comes on like a thunderclap. So you're either at a certain phase when you've gotten fairly far along in the process, or when you have orgasm, you get a headache that is so intense that you think your head's going to explode. Well, if you have that without sex, that's a big sign of something called a subarachnoid hemorrhage, where you have an aneurysm that's leaking or has burst. And so if you get a new onset headache with sexual activity, mostly just with sexual activity, rather than just, I'm also getting regular migraines, then that should be investigated. Because let's say you're 40 years old, you've never had headaches before, all of a sudden you get that, then about 40% of people will have an underlying problem like an aneurysm or an atrovenous malformation or something serious you want to know about. So partly it's like, oh, that's cool. It's interesting sex. We all want to talk about and think about that when we were the, when I was the editor of the Mayo Clinic Health Letter, whenever we had a story that had something about that, we would always win awards if it was on the cover. And if it wasn't, we'd just get our average number of awards. So people want to know about that kind of stuff. But I think that the intense headaches with sexual activity is something important to know about as a warning sign, as is that same thunderclap headache is like, if you're just walking along out of the blue, or you're jogging, and you get a headache, that's like the worst headache you've ever had, then that's something you need to go to the emergency room for right away and make sure that it's not related to an underlying treatable condition. Because 1% of the population is walking around with an aneurysm all the time. Wow, that's scary to think that. It is. Well, Robert, you are a wealth of information. And the testing that is on your website, can people from Canada order that? Or is that strictly just in the US? Hmm. I think it's predominantly just U.S. and it's most U.S. states. A few of them forbid that in terms of state to state. But that legislation is changing rapidly. And I don't believe we currently have Canadian access. But come down across the border and we'd be happy to. We'd be happy. To, <laughs> or if you're really stuck with your headaches, you can come see us in Scottsdale because I do consults and then we can do telemedicine follow up for that kind of stuff. So I do want to leave with one of my other secret estrogen modulation strategies that I think everybody should know about. Yes. And that secret that I think everybody should know about is flaxseed. Because flaxseed does all sorts of miraculous things. So the dose you want to take, you want to take three tablespoons a day preferably organic flaxseed, and you want to grind them up the day you eat them. If you just buy flaxseed powder, the a lot of this antioxidants in it will get oxidized by the air, and then they won't serve you well. So it has lignans in it, and it has things that will lower your cholesterol, it will lower your blood pressure, it will lower your blood sugar. But the most important thing that women, and actually in our society, men should know, is that it has, it's strong in the phytoestrogen department, and it has some non-soy phytoestrogens. And phytoestrogens fit into the receptors weakly, so they block a lot of these plastic compounds and a lot of the pesticides and herbicides and things that we're all exposed to that are making people have you know, more birth defects, more undescended testicles, more intersex 
genitalia, all the kinds of things that are are happening and why girls are having their cycles at younger and younger ages. So those xenoestrogens in the environment, if we can block them on a steady basis, it's a great idea. So I take three tablespoons of of flaxseed every day that I can get organized to do it. And I buy a little $20 coffee grinder from Amazon and I just grind them in there. And then I put them in a smoothie. And I find that it helps all of those kinds of things that our society is pushing us in the wrong direction from it helps weight, it helps blood pressure, it helps blood sugar, it helps cholesterol, and then it helps offset that excess estrogen environment. And so I think that's something I'd like all of your listeners to know about and, and think about for themselves, but also for their husbands, because especially as men get older, if they get heavier, if they get that abdominal adiposity, they have that aromatase too. And as their testosterone levels go down, their estrogen levels go up and they develop more breast tissue and they get changes in their emotions and they get you know, lots of other kinds of function. And so it's important whether you're a man or a woman to offset some of the effects of those synthetic xenoestrogens in the environment. And I think flax is the ideal way to do that. That's a really great tip. I love flax. I get all my clients using it as well. Do you recommend it during specific times in a woman's cycle? No, I just recommend it every day. Because I think a lot of these things we're exposed to from cosmetics to household products to stuff that people are spraying on our food, we're getting that all the time. And so you really just need to calm that down and take that level down continuously. So would it be better at the second half of your cycle? I suppose, but it's mostly just important to balance that all the time because you're continuously exposed to these chemicals. Awesome. Yeah. We did a really extensive episode on estrogen dominance. So Mm -hmm. I really hope the women implement those strategies too. So awesome. Three tablespoons, ideally organic. Yes. And it's so important to freshly grind it and not just keep it in your cupboards because it it will go rancid. Absolutely. So thanks for that tip. So where can people find you? Well, let's see. They can find us for our direct-to-consumer programs and our lab testing at www.destinywell.com. And then our private practice website here in Scottsdale is www.nextlevelcare.us. And that's our private medical practice. Awesome. So we'll put all of that in our show notes. And you do have a migraine webinar coming up. Tell us more about that. We do. We've been developing this for most of a year. And so based on the subtypes that we found uh, where we can sort someone into having several types of subtypes and find the predominant thing that's driving their migraine, we're able to address the underlying factors and help a lot of people get dramatic relief. Many people get off of the medicines they're using or their headache frequency goes down significantly and they lose a lot of the sort of chronic daily headache characteristics that they have to their migraines and they just go back to a pattern that's more treatable. And so it's an online program. It's eight weeks. It has live Facebooks where you go live and you can ask us questions. And then honestly, I get to spend more time with the patients and clients and folks who sign up for that than, you know, in my private practice at at Mayo, I would spend an hour and a half with everybody during the intake. And then I get to see them for a half hour, a couple of times during the year. But here, there's over 70 videos, there's seven hours of content, there's go-lives every week with us and our dietitians and folks, and so it's a lot of immersion, and we've built the Facebook groups into small modules, so you have a supportive pod of people that's moderated by a uh, health coach, and so we have ways to engage and sort of build a tribe that will help you to change the things in your life you need to change to become migraine-free. 
That's amazing. So we will definitely share all the info for that in our show notes. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was such a pleasure chatting with you and I encourage everybody to go check you out online. Good. Thank you so much. You're obviously doing great work. We appreciate it. Thank you. Well, what a great episode with Dr. Robert Sheeler. I really hope that that was informative for you and educational and you guys got to take away some really great action items that you're going to implement, especially if you are suffering with migraines and headaches. And I absolutely love that we got to dive into hormonal subtypes and really show that link between hormones and migraines and headaches as well. I know that it shows up for me in a big way, like I mentioned earlier, around ovulation as well as pre-period as well. So to access the free webinar, now at the time of this recording and when the webinar actually launched that Dr. Robert Sheeler was talking about, I don't know if the link will still work, but we are going to put it in the show notes and perhaps you can still access that webinar. He also has a freebie, a medication cheat sheet. It's an overview of medicines used to treat acute migraines. So we will also put that in the show notes as well. And to connect to Dr. Robert Sheeler and his company, Destiny Well, you can head to destinywell, W-E-L-L dot com. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in. To grab today's show notes, head on over to holisticwellness.ca forward slash episode 36. Thanks everybody for tuning in and I'll chat with you guys next week.